Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. I am your host, Andrea Bricka. This is a podcast, which is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women who happen to also be both executives and lawyers navigate the boundaries often placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that is like. Joining me today is Joe Levy, Vice President and General Counsel, Asia, Pacific, and Japan for Intel Corporation. Joe, welcome to Between the Legal Lines and thank you for joining me today. Could you please get us started by telling us who you are, about your current role, and generally the path that got you there? Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's a pleasure to be on your, your podcast. I've enjoyed listening to uh, some of the other episodes. So I have been at uh, Intel Corporation for some time, going on 19 years. I'm currently based in Hong Kong, and I lead a legal team that provides services for 30,000 employees across more than 15 countries. We cover a wide range of topics, everything from sales and marketing, research development. We have manufacturing sites, uh, government engagement, IP, antitrust, compliance, a little bit of everything. My journey started in litigation, in private practice. I've been in this role for about four years and how I got here is that every few years, I guess I would say I have either expanded my area of expertise or even entirely reinvented myself, my career trajectory, starting in private practice as class action, product liability attorney. I was an aviation attorney, and then I became an IP and patent litigator. When I moved in-house, I was a litigation attorney initially managing uh, and supervising everything from class action, commercial, antitrust, patent lawsuits. I had the opportunity in that role to actually build our first IT e-discovery program for the company. And it was in the middle of a pretty contentious lawsuit uh, where there were claims of spoliation and it was really something I, I found I enjoyed. I, I really liked the, the idea of combining legal advice with really practical advice and process. How do you implement that advice across a company with 100,000 employees and 60 countries? And so uh, we had a new GC come in who wanted to build our first corporate compliance program. And since I found I liked building things, I raised my hand and eventually I became our first chief compliance officer for the company, uh, which included building antitrust compliance, anti-corruption, M&A, um, oversight, etc. And then when that was in a steady state, I, I had an opportunity to take on this role 
in a GC capacity for the Asia Pacific Japan region and really found that a good way to round out my expertise and have the opportunity to uh, live overseas, work with an international team, and really take on a, a leadership role for the region. So we're going to get to it in a little bit about w- living and working overseas. But before we get there, c- can you tell us if there's any one person in particular that's been helpful in your career? I would say many people have helped me in my career along the way. And usually those people have given me an opportunity or a chance to do something different or try something different. Um, One person who really stands out in my current company uh, was the general counsel I mentioned who had come in and new to the company and and wanted to build a more formal centralized uh, ethics and corporate compliance program. And at that time, I was associate director of litigation and and, um, hadn't built a compliance program before and was really uh, appreciative of that opportunity, which um, in addition to building the program, gave me a lot of frequent exposure to the CEO, the CFO, the board. And one of the things I really appreciated um, about that relationship was that I got a lot of um, good feedback and guidance, but I was really given the autonomy to really set my own vision um, and become the expert and have have the company look to me for advice on the best direction, you know, for the company to go. So now can you talk candidly about taking on an expat assignment and the impact on your career? So kind of talk about what has been good, the benefits, and has there been anything that you didn't expect? Sure. Uh, I would say taking on an expat assignment, especially at this point in my career, is probably one of the riskiest career moves that I've made. I really didn't know what to expect, even though I've I've traveled all over the world for business and personal matters. Um, I literally uprooted my my family from a very suburban American lifestyle and and. Uh, put them down in the middle of the most international cosmopolitan compact cities in the world. Um, So there was a a significant change on personal and work front. What's been great. I, I love the change in perspective that I have now on, on so many things. I really understand uh, more about cross-cultural communication how to really get extract more value from regional teams, how to get more strategic input. Uh, I've learned a lot about different legal systems, different jurisdictions, and how these can not only trip up companies, but actually provide really great opportunities to our benefit if we can uh, identify the, the variations across the globe and, and exploit them, so to speak. Uh, it's also given me new areas of expertise, things like export, geopolitical issues, environmental health and safety, where uh, laws and, and practices differ. So all those things have been 
I'm really positive. You also asked, I think, about unexpected uh, things that, that occurred. I would say my first year here was, was pretty standard expat assignment. And then we hit all of the Hong Kong protests, millions of people in the streets. And then we hit the pandemic and the U.S.-China trade relations. And of course, the um, semiconductor chip shortage, which uh, being at a semiconductor chip company uh, has put us really in the center of the global attention, both in Asia and around the globe. So um, all of those things have been educational, eye-opening, interesting. So you touched on the pandemic. What have you learned about leadership from being an executive during the pandemic from its start until two years later now, and anything you think that is specific to being based in Asia as it was happening? Oh, that's a great question. Um, certainly empathy uh, has always been important as a leader, but in the pandemic, having a good sense of empathy and being able to listen to how our employees are experiencing the pandemic, the restrictions and, and the challenges has taken on even, even more significance. Um, the ability to be flexible and understanding on, on uh, external constraints. You know, one of the differences in Asia um, is that here most people live in apartments, spaces at a premium. We don't have home offices, we don't have guest bedrooms or, or even a garage, you know, that you can convert into an office. So the concept of working from home, sometimes in the U.S. could be seen as a, a positive, whereas sometimes in, in Asia, it's, it's very difficult. Um, you're moving from room to room, you've got uh, people in and out, um, especially if your kids are home, you don't have uh, the internet capacity that you have in a single family home in the U.S. when you live in a, a high-rise building and suddenly hundreds of families are working on the same building at the same time. That That's definitely been a challenge. So moving a little bit towards some of the things we cover all the time on Between the Legal Lines, what, if anything, do you wish you were freer to say or do at work? And if there is anything, why can't you? Oh, another very good question. I think there are a lot of times people talk about uh, bringing your full self to work, bringing your authentic self to work. Um, I'm not sure that that is necessarily an um, authentic approach in a way. And I, I liken it a little bit to being a parent where I think about, of course, I want to be my authentic self with my kids, but am I going to tell them everything about me that I did when I was their age? I don't think so. Um, and so I feel like the, the areas where bringing your full self and being authentic um, become challenging or are really less gender based and more work oriented. And, and as an example, I would say uh, sometimes 
a lot of my colleagues don't know this, but I can be very funny. And I, I have a, a wit that can connect different situations in a humorous way, but I, I don't usually bring that into work because, um, you know, humor can be misconstrued, especially across cultures or situations, things that I find funny, someone else might not. And, and that tends to make everybody more uh, serious or business-minded at work. It's interesting because I just read an article this week that said it was like three times you shouldn't bring your authentic self to work. So it's interesting that you pointed that out. I think that with many things, right, there's a little bit of a backlash, right? You go way far one way and then people realize, whoa, wait a minute, that's a little too much. And we've got to come a little bit back towards the center. And I completely understand what you're saying after reading that article. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Another, another topic on that, um, coming from a trial law practice, you know, sometimes it's not about you, it's about the other people in the room. So when you go into court, it's respect for the the courtroom and the judicial process and the judges, you wouldn't walk in in your blue jeans, even if they, even if they let you. So, you know, the same can be said in the, in the office, right? When you show up in a certain way, it's, it's not just about who you are. It's also about your respect for the people you're working with. So going, expanding a little bit, you kind of touched on that. And that is, you know, what has been stronger, the restraints you place on yourself or the restrictions placed upon uh, placed upon you by other people in the workplace. Hmm. I, I would say restrictions by others because across my entire career, I've run into uh, people who like to put other people in a box. Oh, you're a product liability attorney. Can you really do IP litigation? Oh. You're a litigation attorney. How can you do uh, build a compliance organization? And then in my current role, well, wait, you're a compliance attorney. How can you take on uh, being a, a GC across the region? And those types of restraints, and uh, I guess in the U.S. we would say pigeonholing, I think are, are um, potentially harmful to people's ability to really grow and, and progress and develop. And that makes sense that the general counsel who said, Joe, take on this compliance program is so influential because they went beyond what most people would say was the lane you were in and said, you can do something else. Exactly. So data continues to show a general gender pay gap in the legal profession. There's been some recent data that it's changing a bit in-house with general counsel in particular. But I think across the board, there's still a bit of a gender pay gap. Do you have any thoughts on how we can close that gap more going forward? I do. Uh, let me share a couple of thoughts. I was very happy when California switched to uh, prohibiting employers from asking candidates what are they making in their current job, um, because I do believe that that can reinforce um, gaps, whether it's gender, under, underrepresented minorities, or, or other categories. And so the idea that you're not put in that awkward spot of 
having to disclose what you make um, as a matter of law in California is going to be an interesting experiment. I think if I recall, Colorado's taken it a step further and uh, is requiring some posting of job ranges, which will also be interesting to see how that impacts the job market. Um, but anytime you know, you're trying to fill a gap, you're not starting on a level playing field. And so, and so asking candidates right off the bat for that information just reinforces the playing field they're on. The, the second one that I've seen be very helpful uh, at my company is really infusing more accountability and transparency in the, in the hiring process to say, uh, when you bring in a slate of candidates, you know, you need to have a certain number, a certain percentage of diverse candidates on your slate. We're not saying you need to hire or not hire, but at least have, uh, have people who are coming in who represent a diverse view. And, and that in turn makes people think about uh, the people who are interviewing them is my, are my interviewers, a diverse representation of our, of our company. And those kinds of um, practices will really help to uh, bring more equity. It is interesting. Um, Colorado has said that if you post a job, you have to put the range as a recruiter, the interesting part that I've seen over the past 20 years is if you give a range, everybody thinks that the top of the range is where they will be. And it's, you do have to kind of reinforce it is a range. <laughs> and, um, and so that's, all, that's been interesting as more of these disclosures come out because just the automatic way people go to the top of the range. Exactly. And it, I think it will force employers to then say, what would differentiate someone on the lower end of the range and the higher end of the range? And the more we can do that as employers, the, the better it is, right? Yes, for sure. Any thoughts on how we can get more women into general counsel seats, if it's, you know, overall for the company or regional seats like you have, but any thoughts on we, how we get more women in that top role? Well, I love this program. I think anything that gives more visibility to the women GCs that are that are already out there is terrific. Uh, there are so many women GCs today as compared to even 10 or, or 15 years ago. And so um, really making those voices heard will help the next generation coming up. Um, certainly having more women CEOs since those are often the people making the decisions on the GC, would help as well. Um, those are two that just popped to my mind immediately. I'm not such a big fan on the um, let's focus on what women can do differently because I think women already have the skills, the capability, the capacity to step into those roles. It's, it's not necessarily a question of fixing the women so they can take on the roles. It's more a question of creating more visibility, uh, leveling a playing field, um, and just encouraging people to think about more diversity across the company. Thank you. I think that's a great point. Thank you for pointing out this program. But in particular, thank you for that point, because I am a big champion of that is it's 
women, exactly what you said, women can do this job. It's not about changing them. It's about seeing the value they bring as they are. And I think we need to highlight that, highlight that more and more for sure. Well, in conclusion, what advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior and career advancement? Mm. Three words, network, network, network. I, I think I can't say enough uh, about uh, the, the benefits of building a network, getting to know people. Don't limit yourself to people you think will be helpful to you someday, but just making connections up, down, sideways, and then being uh, able to share with those people in your network, what are your ambitions? What do you want to do? What are you good at? Um, where do you see yourself going in, in five years? And on the flip side of that, really be open to helping other people uh, in their careers and helping other people get to where they want to go. Joe, thank you so much. This has been Between the Legal Lines, where you have just heard from Joe Levy, Vice President and General Counsel, Asia, Pacific, and Japan for Intel Corporation. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Thank you very much. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.